0: an hour
1: on KCB, 106.5 FM Los Angeles, 102.3 FM Riverside,
0: and 105.0 AM Palm Springs.
2: Uh, today uh, we are joined uh, by a renowned author <laughs> all the way from the UK, uh, Jerome Macklin-Pates. Thank you for being here.
1: Yeah, my pleasure. Thank you for having me here.
2: Uh, no, okay, so Jerome uh, let's because uh, you haven't been on the show before so let's talk about you um, Is this your first book?
1: It is yes, uh, the first the first book I've been able was complete writing that is Yeah, okay.
2: now what what got you into writing a book like what were you doing? Beforehand that led you to all of a sudden writing?
1: Hey, okay, so I'm um, writing the meat and gravy of it then <laughs> um, <laughs> so <laughs> <laughs> so for me, um, I actually come from an acting background, um, and I, I, I trained at Italia Conti drama school over here in the UK, um, and I used to do that professionally, but as is so often the way with many actors, um, I wasn't able to continue doing it, so I kind of got into the, the the sort of the everyday life, the, the real jobs that, that people like to talk about uh, side of life, and I ended up, whilst in those jobs, um, I ended up getting a rather nasty back injury. And I found myself in a situation where I desperately wanted to get back to creating, but I knew I couldn't go back into acting or directing um, because of my, my, the, the movement issues that I had. So something that I'd always wanted to try and do was to write my own book. Um, and so I thought, well, I'm in a position where I can't move very much. <laughs> Um my options for creativity are quite limited at this point. Um, so if there's ever going to be a point where I will sit still for long enough to write a book, I think now would probably be the point.
2: Well, that's interesting, but because uh, that's, a, that's a big venture. Um, were you concerned that you weren't a writer and you were going to write a book? You, and I mean that in a sense of... Um, of the training of being a writer, just like you were, of course. you know, being an actor, and you took some training because you want to get good at it. So, did you do anything to prepare?
1: A hundred percent. So, there's a, when I first came into the idea of of writing a book. It's something that I've wanted to do since I was um, before I even turned 20. Um, I had a slightly bigger step to tackle than what perhaps some some writers do. So not only had I not actually gone through the, the formal sort of literature ch- uh, training, but I'm actually classified as dyslexic. So my hurdle towards actually writing a novel in the first place was, was huge. Um, but within my kind of work life, within my personal life, I always pride myself on being someone who doesn't see the obstacles, I look for the opportunities. And so when there is a problem that is in front of me uh, or where I ed- identify one of my weaknesses, I always look to try and find something which will compensate for that. So I realized that writing my very first novel, um, I was, <laughs> there are vast amounts of people out there who were vastly more qualified to go out and do that. But I also realized that if I go out and utilize those people's experiences around me and if I study um, how to break down a good story, um, I can use all of what I learned as an actor to bring that together to make a very, very good book. Um, So one of the things that I I looked at is I took my acting training and my ability to write um, film scripts, because that's something I'd done before, Um, and I'd actually uh, worked as a columnist when I was younger as well. Um, and I took all of that over into my work with novels and started to break down like the works of directors who I really liked. So Steven Spielberg, for example. Um, I think I broke down, it was around about 15 of uh, Steven Spielberg's films um, to look at the journey that he goes on throughout those movies and to try and make sure that those story arcs are coming in. I also went off and read things like uh, saving the cat um, within the books listening to audio book after audio book on the structure of um of, of what a novel should take as well as watching um, many many hours of video on youtube as well uh, i think brendan sanders was delivering some really nice pieces around the art of writing and how to write a good novel um, and there were lots of other youtubers who, who were talking about how to go out there and find your niche and, and all of those kind of things. So I, before I even started writing my first novel, I'd already attempted to write um, a book uh, probably about, say, six, seven times in fairness. Um, but I'd also written my own work when it came to film. Um, so I'd actually written and directed around about four, uh, four films by that point, all very, very low budget, um, but all following that same sort of narrative and then looking to expand that over into the novel format.
2: Wow. But thats it's quite different when you write a script as compared to writing a... Um, Massively. Yeah, like it's a different... Massively. It's a, it's a, it, it's a different way. Um, well, so, okay, so The Founder Seeds, Awakening. How did you um, choose this type of book? Um and I mean this in the sense, okay, so you've got a little bit, you know, you've been writing for things and you've got all this creativity. How did it become the Founder Seeds? Like, you know, what made you choose this direction?
1: Uh, so when I actually started the process of writing the Founder Seeds, um, I had no idea what it was going to be. Um, and that is the God's honest truth. Uh, when I sat down, I remember sitting down um, at the same computer i sitting down and talking to you guys now on um, and thinking, right, how, how, how do I start a story? Because it's a big thing. It's a big undertaking. <laughs> You're going to write a novel which is going to be at least 70,000 words long. Um, so that start point is, is very crucial. Um, and for me, when I was thinking about where to start, there was this story that I remember from when I was uh, a, a kid. It was something when... Uh, back in the UK, I was driving back late one night uh, from a place called Norwich, which is in Norfolk in the UK, and I was driving home on my moped, and on the way back, I actually stopped off at one of the public loos on the way, uh, on the way back home, as, as you do, and I remember being in that loo, and I remember thinking to myself, how weird would it be if some sort of monster came into this toilet right now? And it was being chased by a group of government agents that were trying to keep it all secretly under wraps from everyone, like a a proper kind of men in black sort of style. And so I remembered that. I remembered that ever since I was about 19 years old. And so when I sat down to start writing the book, that's where I started. And I thought to myself... You know, how am I going to tell this story? I need to play to my strengths. You know, I am not someone who has a literary background like the greats. You know, I'm not going to create something which has all of the the wonderful flourishes of all of the, the, the early writers. But what I can do and what I'm very good at is telling a story from my perspective talking through the emotions which are going on, talking about the thoughts which are going on. And so that was the shape that I decided to start the journey on. And I used my sort of acting background to actually create the characters before the story. And the story ended up evolving from choices the characters made. Um, and ironically, when I was working through it, I'd, I'd mapped out, where I thought the characters were going to go. I'd mapped out um, how the story was going to end. But then, as I was writing, I found I was getting to a point where it didn't feel natural for the characters to go that way anymore. So the characters were deciding what was going to happen and how it was going to happen. um, And it became a very, very, very organic piece of writing. So I didn't set out at the beginning of this and go, Right, I'm going to write a book called The Founder Seeds. Uh, it will be in the genre of dark fantasy sci-fi. In fact, for the longest time, I didn't know how the book was going to end. Uh, I didn't know the genre it was going to fit into. Um, and it was called In a Flush, um, was was the very first title for it. <laughs> um, so it, it, it changed a lot. And it was ironic, because once I'd finished the book... Um, you know, there, were, there was a lot of comedy that, uh, that comes in um, at the beginning and there's a lot of to and throw and I, I took a lot of inspiration from uh, an author called Robert Asprin um, who wrote The Mything Omnibus. I absolutely love uh, love his stuff um, and I love the back and forth between the characters there and that kind of that jokey banter that you have because it's something which people can really relate to when, when they read it um, and and when I saw those characters coming to life as they were kind of taking on their own, it, it, it was just really, really lovely. Um, and I, actually, people read it afterwards, and I was like, "Oh, it's all jokey bantery, you know." In a flash, it's perfect for it. And they're like, "You do realise you've written a story which is much more than just a few jokes at the beginning? Like, you realise what you've written, right?" And I was like, "I, I guess, yeah." Um, so I, I, I kind of listened to the people around me. Um, who, who kind of instructed it to to be what it is? The founder sees.
2: Wow, did you did you sit around uh, bathrooms and wait for a month? I did. Yes. <laughs> yes, often, well, uh, in my spare time, many many times.
1: Wow. No, no, it, it was um, it, it became a running joke um, because I, I, I actually I used to I used to work for for Samsung as an area manager, um, and. I was I was always known as the guy. I would always know where all the public loos were when, whenever we were driving round. Um, so I, if anyone came out, I was like toilets up there. It's not a problem. We'll go there. Um, and so when I told the guys at work, I was I was going to be writing a, a story that starts. In a public loo, they were like, "What the hell? What? Are you, how? How are you starting a book in a toilet? That's ridiculous." And I was like, "Yeah, and it's really cool because I go off to another world and like I rewrite the entire history of the universe." Um, I, but how? It's in a toilet. <laughs> um, so you know, I, I found that was it was quite funny. I think the original slogan for the book was, um, uh, "Destiny can find you in the most unexpected of places, even in a public loo." Um, that that was the original slogan for the book. Um, yeah.
2: I, okay. So now, they, so you're you're coming up with his idea. Now, when we go back to the characters, like I guess the journey is John Sparks. He's the the person that goes through the journey.
1: Yes, hundred percent.
2: You so when you create that character, you've you've got this person. Um, how do you decide? On who he is and the elements that make him so that he can go through this journey and and you can tell a story how you want to like uh, like you were talking about how um he, you know each character was written first and how they uh, developed and they kind of chose where they were going to go because you had the story outlined but you ended up following the path of these characters so how does how does that happen
1: so for me something <laughs> which was was very important with this book and again it goes back to playing to my strengths um like i said i, I hadn't written a novel before so i knew that if i was going to be writing a story from a first po- person point of view i needed to tell a story that i knew from a first po- person point of view so i decided very early on that john should represent uh, a pa- something for me that isn't seen very much in the world. So my story started off when I was in a children's home. Um, so I actually went into care when I was uh, 14 years old. Um, and I, I lived in a children's home uh, at that point in my life. And before I went into into care, I had no idea what care was. I thought care was a place where literally children were just sort of like thrown away from their parents because they were, they were too bad to, to live with them. Um, and I realized in my, in my time within a children's home that actually there are some really great people that live there. There are some fantastic people that work there. But people's perception and people's understanding and people's knowledge about them is so limited. It is completely stereotyped based on the characters that people see on TV or they read in books. Harry Potter. Terrible foster parents, lives under a cupboard. Over here we have something called Tracy Beaker. You talk to kids about children that from care, they talk about Tracy Beaker. Nothing like kids from care. So what I wanted was I wanted to create a character who fully and honestly embodied what it was to come from the care sector. But not a kid in the care sector. I wanted someone who had gone through the angst. I wanted someone who was who had achieved what most people from the care sector perceive as the pinnacle, which is to live a normal, mundane life. Because that is something which not many people know about when uh, you come from care. Success, when you come and live in a children's home when you go through foster care, is not perceived to be mega-rich, mega-successful in your job. It is defined by your ability to blend into society, to not stand out anymore. And the character of John Sparks, when the story starts, that is who he is. He is someone who is exceptionally special. But, because of his upbringing, because of his past, he now only aspires to be a normal person. He doesn't want magic. He doesn't want wonderment. He wants to go home and watch his Netflix. That is what John wants. That's what he's about. Um, And so through the character of John, I've been able to tell a story of someone who reluctantly has to accept that there is something more special about them than what they are willing to accept of themselves. I can tell an honest story about uh, a young man who's lived in foster care, who after years of being bounced around from foster care to foster carer, ends up taking on a family who loves him and he loves them back. And you can see a side of someone who's gone through the care sector, which you don't really see very much, um, either in film or in book.
2: So, so what does your character mean to you? What does John Sparks mean to you? Uh, and I say that as, uh, just because we've had so many um, fiction writers on, and they all have different experiences, and a lot of them actually... Um, refer to their characters as their children. Like, do you feel mm-hmm. that way?
1: I feel the founder seeds um, in its entirety would be classed as, as, as a child of mine in a way. But if I'm being completely honest, for me, John John is... when I, like When I got to the end of writing this book i found that john was kind of like my way of sort of accepting who i am accepting my role in life accepting that it's okay not you know it's okay to to kind of to reach a little bit more and um you know john well it's not just john and that's why i, th- I think it's everyone like everyone in this story has their battles everyone in this story is running from something um, that's why i kind of hesitated when you said it was about it's about john because it's it, it, it's a story told through john's eyes but everyone in this story has their battles that they are going through everyone um, that you encounter has 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 lost something in the same way as everyone in life has lost something um, so i i put a lot of my my soul uh, into this in the same way as i suppose every writer will do um i i suppose um, but yeah john for me is is kind of <laughs> kind of, it sounds weird but it's kind of like a love letter to uh, the guys in care right now to sort of say look, it's okay to dream. It's okay to look further than just blending in society. Hmm. Um, and, that, and that, that for me, is very much what John's about. Uh, and, and the opportunity to teach people about what it's like to, to come through care in a, a creative fashion. Um, yeah, much the same way as I spoke, like ancient Rome they used to do, didn't they? You put plays on to to, to entertain people, but also to educate.
2: Hmm. So... How did you set the stage here? So now this is a, um, you're bringing in what you say is um, Earth's hidden past. And, Indeed. And the truth about the founder's seeds of light. So that sounds pretty large scale. So what's defined in the toilet anyway? Um, yeah. It's so, go big or go home, I think. <laughs> well, that's, <laughs> I'll say that's great the flush. Um, yeah. Uh, so it, it maybe explain that sort of uh, the, the stage work. Like what, what is the storyline kind of about?
1: Sure. Uh, so the storyline of the Fantasy's Awakening is it starts off in the world that you and I live um, because I want it to be, you know, I want it to be something that people can relate to. And you meet John doing possibly the most mundane and normal of things in the world, going to the toilet. It's something that I think we can all r- relate to. It's something we all do. Um, not many of us talk about it. It's not often talked about going to the loo, but it happens. Um, and, you, um, and you find John, who is just this ordinary bloke, encountering um, things which are beyond anything he could ever expect. You know, within the first six, seven chapters of the book, John has encountered uh, an alien creature called a Culver. Um, he has encountered a group, um, a very mysterious group called the Guardians. He's also had an encounter with, uh, with a demon. And he's also discovered that magic is not something which just lives in fairy tales. Um, and... That all comes within the first six, seven chapters of the book. So you go from someone who literally his idea of fun or his idea of an adventure is scrolling through Facebook to try and get a a, a full house on Facebook of uh, funny videos and interesting topics to, dear God, I'm now being swept away into a magical land full of things which I never even realized were possible. Um, And as he goes on that journey, he discovers Not just um, about himself, uh, but he makes discoveries about uh, the world in which he lives. Um, And he meets uh, someone called Isla, who is an ancient shaman of the the Kulva race. And uh, she tells him all about the, uh, the founder seeds of light and how the founder seeds of light were the original source of all life across the universe. Um, and it's a wonderful story that I, I created and it was it was um based on um it, like ancient chinese stories uh, because I, I love the whole um uh, i think there's the story of like the the koi the koi carp the the light and the dark and the, that kind of that's something magical um which kind of flows through through their words i love it I, again i go back to to films with my work here, uh, with um Uh, with my references, but Kubo, it's a a wonderful demonstration of storytelling. Absolutely beautiful um, in the way that they kind of bring things to life uh, about the past. I love it. Um, But yeah, as you go through, you discover exactly how the universe was created. And you also discover that there is races which have existed in the start
0: Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
1: For, for Long before any of us were aware of them, that have been among us for a very, very, very long time. Um, so it, it's so hard to describe it without giving the story away. And I, I hate <laughs> giving the story yeah. away because it ruins it. Um, but yeah, the, the basic premise is a guy on a journey of discovery, um, who is a bit of a loner who, who makes friends along the way and discovers that the story of the universe is not what is taught in the, the history books. Um, it's not far off, but it happened in a very different way. Um, I like to create my own version of the big bang theory. Um, so
2: (laughs) the big bang theory and the toilet.
1: Well, yes. (laughs) See, see, that's the thing. You start off in a toilet and then you discuss how the Big Bang um, was actually created by the two opposing forces of light and dark who were locked in an eternal dance um, in the stars until one day the dark became envious of the light and decided to break away from the light and gain dominion over the night sky. Um, And that's where it's all born from, uh, all uh, all of the life across the stars.
2: Wow, uh, do you do you have like um, um, uh, uh, what what's your feelings on things like uh, the paranormal and magic and and, and all of that um, in your life? Does this have a huge influence? Uh,
1: so I, I love um, I absolutely love all things which are scary, supernatural, science fiction, fantasy. Um, you know, I'm uh, very much a fanboy. I think I'm drinking a, a cup of tea at the moment. Very British of me, uh, from a, a Star Wars mug. I forgive me; it's not the, the original trilogy. The original trilogy is still the best trilogy, as far as I'm concerned. Thank you. Um, <laughs> it has to be said. It um, has to be. <laughs> uh, hands down, the best one that they've done today is uh, would be Rogue One. Uh, that's the best rem- That's the best modern Star Wars film, in my opinion. Yeah. Um, but anyway. Uh, yeah, so I, I love all of that. I've very much grown up on folklore tales. Um, in, in Norfolk, where I grew up, we ha- we have one about the black shuck, uh, which is a demon dog that walks along the coastline. It has red eyes, and if you, you look into its eyes, uh, it will kill you. Uh, that's the story we grew up with, um, walking along the beachfront <laughs> at night. Uh, but I, I very much enjoy paranormal. In fact... Um, uh, Neil Story, someone who I've worked with both as an actor and uh, we we discuss things on on writing. And um, the first time I actually met uh, Neil, we will, we worked on a film which was about vampires and vampire hunting. Um, yeah, I think we we did a ghost tour at one point. We actually did a, a, a very very fancy uh, country estate over here uh, for Halloween. We actually did a ghost tour, so I, I love all of that very much. <laughs>
2: Yeah, I I could see Neil on a on a ghost
1: tour. Yeah, he he is very good <laughs> on a ghost tour. He loves a ghost tour. <laughs> a,
2: amazing speaker he is, just amazing, um, the way he can talk. Um, it, it, so old sci fi or new sci fi? What kind of? Um, where do you stand on that?
1: i uh, are we talking? Uh,
2: well, you know, I would think, say. Things predate it to to now, you know. Everything is so um, I don't know how do you say it. we've got so many effects now with the computer age and all this stuff. So pre all of that, so pre nineteen eighty,
1: let's say. Pre nineteen eighties. <laughs> so I would say the science fiction which is coming out from a from a film basis uh, these days is by. Far in, in some ways, by far, spe- spectacular-wise, it is by far superior to the old stuff. Um, I, when I'm saying that, I'm talking in reference to films like Interstellar. Um, absolutely fantastic, both in terms of concept and execution. Um, but when you're looking to sort of the early sci-fi, when you're talking about The Fly or the remake of um, Dune, which is coming out, um, and obviously that was based on uh, the book from Frank Herbert. Um, that, um, that was fantastic, uh, and it's time that people still go back and watch that kind of stuff now. Um, I think I just found it on my Netflix, so I'll probably be watching that myself again soon. So uh, concept-wise, I think it was fan- – the stuff which was delivered sort of 70s, 80s was fantastic, um, but in terms of ex- execution and spectacular, like the spectacle of it, I, I cannot – you cannot be the modern stuff in my opinion – except from Star Wars, because I think the special effects were not good enough to maintain it. Mm. Uh, Good idea, but poor execution, in my opinion.
0: So when it comes to world building,
1: um, do you have any, uh, it sounds like
2: you've built quite a world here, and um, do you have any sort of heroes that you look to for world building, like H.P. Lovecraft or Tolkien
1: or someone like that? Uh, so for me, it goes. I I go back to Robert Asprin again uh, because for me, the thing which I loved about Robert Asprin was he was not only he, the world that he built was based on the character interaction, and that was what kept me going through it because I I was genuinely interested about the characters. Um, And the way that he described things, in the same way as uh, Terry Pratchett, Um, I love the way that Terry Pratchett describes things in his books. Um, There's there's an observation about, um, at the beginning of, I've forgotten what the name is, Uh, but there's an observation in the beginning of one of his books where the turtle is describing, he's describing how the turtle is used to only being an inch off the floor, and as he's lifted up by the eagle, he's actually hundreds, hundreds of feet off the floor. And it's those... Special little details, which are quite often neglected, which which I really, really enjoy, um, or concepts which don 't often come in, so with Robert Aspirin in the mything omnibus, I loved the idea that magic wasn 't just something you could pluck out of the air it wasn 't just something that was like oh yeah i can i 'm a wizard, I can do it wherever." Um, within the Mything Omnibus, there were veins that ran through the Earth, and the closer you were to those veins, the more powerful your magic was. And I loved that as a concept, um, in the same way as I loved the idea of the planet called Bazaar, uh, a planet which was a market stall. Um, and the wonderful thing about it was the, the stalls on this planet were never in the same place twice. They would always move. So whenever you would visit this planet, you had to go somewhere different. And if you got separated from someone, you would have to try and find them again, even though you'd just walked off a couple of centimetres away. Um, and I, I, I love that for, for creativity. Um, I actually found when, when I was listening to uh, Tolkien, because... Again, where I'm dyslexic, a lot of my uh, a lot of my reading comes in audiobook format because I find that's a more accessible way for me to uh, mm-hmm. to read. Um, and when I'm listening to, to Tolkien, uh, don't get me wrong, I'm I'm a massive fanboy of The Lord of the Rings. Um, but I find I find it actually quite frustrating uh, all the songs. Um, I have <laughs> <Yeah>. to say. <laughs> They're
0: singing. Uh, again.
1: Uh, like, I, I, I really... Uh, I found it really frustrating. Um, and, and that isn't me hating on Tolkien, you know? No. I think the, the guy has created the most wonderful worlds for people to <laughs> enjoy. But... Uh, I, and some people will love the songs, but for me... But, it, but that's the thing, isn't it? There is no universal thing that people just love. And I think that's quite a reassuring thing when you're writing. Uh, because I think it's quite tempting to try and write something or create something that everybody will universally love. Um, and when you realise that is impossible, because people like Tolkien have their critics, people J.K. Rowling, I, th- I think she is the most successful author in history uh, at this point. I think she has, uh, I think it's seven out of the top-selling books of all time or something um, yeah. uh, on, the, on, the, on the list. You know, but people are still critical of J.K. Rowling, um, regardless of her politics. Uh, so it is impossible to be universally loved. It's impossible to create a universally loved story uh, or world. But what is entirely possible is to create a world which people can dip into and can enjoy and potentially can find comfort or can fall in love with.
2: Well, everyone loves me. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. If they don't, they're is. You've they're... just
1: broken my theory.
2: <laughs> <laughs> we terminate anybody that doesn't. Well, Hopefully. that is
1: one way to guarantee that everyone will love you. If, yeah. If, if, if you only keep the ones around that love you, then that will guarantee that. Yeah. It's a lot of work, though.
2: <laughs> it's, it's a terrible lot of work. Alan's <laughs>
0: also full of crap. Yeah. <laughs> Just... <laughs> <laughs> Just threatening.
2: Uh, um, wow. So, now, in this book, um, of course, we don't know the ending. So are you planning to do uh, more in the same sort of Style, or is there going to be a series of these books?
1: Yeah, one hundred percent. The The Founder Seeds is uh, awake, uh, The Fantasies Awakening is just the beginning of this journey for John. The first The first book is all around accepting who you are, and that is very much the theme that runs runs through the the first book. Um, and the second book is going to be then embracing. Um, there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, A lot of things, I mean, so the first book is very much based in the world that we all live, uh, whereas with the second book is going to be completely and utterly rewriting the world that we live. So you go on one hell of a story arc during the first story, one hell of a story arc. Um, I effectively set up the end of all life as we know it across across the first book.
2: Oh. Oh, thank God. COVID-19. I know, right? It
1: needs a rewrite, and that isn't a spoiler. There is no spoiler there because I set it up. Doesn't say we get there. Doesn't say that it's going to happen, but it will be set up.
2: What do, you have, state, do, you know? do you have something that is there an underlying point that you want people to get when they read your book?
1: A thousand percent. Um, never, never to misjudge. Uh, never, uh, never to misjudge someone. Never to underestimate people, um, and to I- accept who you are uh the the this story uh, was written by someone who is classed as severely dyslexic um, who went into a children's home and was told that by the age of 18 he would either be dead or in prison um I have massively overexceeded exceeded on all of those counts and um, I, I, I'm very proud to to be on to be on your show talking about a novel because it it proves that, one, it is possible to do it. Um, and I believe, to date, we're looking at around about 1,600 copies have been ordered so far of the book. Um, it's currently available on the Walmart website um, uh, to, uh, to place your interest in, in purchasing it. Uh, and so if, if someone like me is able to do that, then there is nothing really out there uh, that is in the way of stopping anyone. And I know at, at the top of this, we actually spoke about my, kind of my credentials uh, in terms of you know, my, my literary experience and the training that I've received, but I think that is the point of this whole book. Um, it, is, it should stand as a testament. It's, it's proof that if you are prepared to put the work in, if you are prepared to ask for help from the right people, there should be nothing which stands in your way from delivering something. And that isn't me saying that everyone is going to go out and write a best-selling novel, um, because I haven't written a best-selling novel yet. I hope in the future I have. But my goal when I wrote this this book was to sell one copy. That was my validation that I had done something of worth with my time. I'm now in a position where I'm looking forward and thinking, wow, I need to do a second and a third of this book. This, This is something which could really work for me. Um, and it's a life which I I actually really want to explore because I, I love it. I've always loved writing. So that would be the story. You know, I've always wanted to do this. I have a, a little board um, where I have my ambitions and to write a best-selling novel is on that, that board of ambitions. And... With the right amount of work and the right amount of asking questions, I'm now in a position where I've delivered that and I'm looking to take the, take the next step and hopefully people can, can look to replicate that themselves.
2: Mm. Now, do you have your own website now or a website people can find you at?
1: Uh, so most of my stuff I run through Facebook and Instagram and all of that. Like I, did, I have built a website. Um, it's, if, I'll be honest, it's a free one through Wix um <laughs> but if you type in on Google um, the founder seeds awakening you will find uh, you'll find my website it will all pop up but if you want to keep completely up to date on everything uh, Facebook Instagram uh, just follow me on there type in the founder seeds on Facebook uh, to find me type in uh, I believe it is JMP the founder seeds author uh, on Instagram uh, to find me and that is. That, that is how you'll get hold of me and you'll be able to keep up to date with all the latest uh, all the latest on the book and actually at the moment I am in Bulgaria um, uh, as you guys uh, as you guys know actually doing research for the second book um, because there's uh, some ancient healing ladies over here who I wanted to learn a little bit more about and they are very much based in a bit of magic uh, so I'm doing a little bit of research into that over here right now
2: now, you you mentioned we didn't want to miss something, so. You, Indeed. You, yeah. So, would you like to talk about that?
1: <laughs> sure. I, I mentioned to remind me not to miss something, which is really important, and then I forgot to say it myself. Uh, <laughs> yeah, that, that was grand. Exactly. <laughs> Thank you, Mike. Really yep. appreciate it. No problem. <laughs> Uh, so, yeah, so something I wanted to make sure that I mentioned with the book is that because, uh, you know, I come from that background of living in foster care, uh, well, living in children's homes and foyers, et cetera, I've actually set up that a percentage of any profit made from the book will be going to those charities. And the idea is that a fund will be made to help uh, young people who are going through that. Uh, to go on to achieve their goals to achieve their ambitions in the same way as i was helped at that age to go off and achieve mine so hopefully not only will people come off the back of this book and maybe feel a bit inspired that hey and want to go out there and give it a go themselves but hopefully people um who are less fortunate than the many out there will also benefit and get opportunities that otherwise would, would go passing them by great.
2: Now, you're going to have a Black Friday um, sort of sale g- coming up here?
1: I am indeed. Like the entire rest of the universe, I, I will be I, I will be uh, having my book on sale over the Black Friday uh, week. Uh, in fact, so I'll be running from the 20th of November all the way through to the 27th of November to make sure that I can offer it to you good folks over over the pond, as well as the ones over on my pond, my side of the pond. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, it will be getting offered for 99 cents on ebook format. And it will be getting offered for, I believe I'm going to be offering it for either four, uh, oh, no, 10, 10.98 on, on paperback formats. But I may be taking that down a little bit. So you'll have to watch this space. I may decide to sneak it down below the the $7 mark.
2: (laughs) Well, we will post everything on our website, so people listening can do one click and pick up your book or find you on Facebook.
1: Thank you very much.
2: Now, um, so this has been great. Um, Have you had writer's block? Did you have any problem with that when you were being first book? Uh,
1: So there was one chapter. (laughs) There was one chapter that I got to, um, and... It wasn't so much writer's block, it was more like a life block. Uh, it seemed like every time I tried to move forward with that chapter, something in my life was, was, was happening to stop me writing. Uh, but it was at the halfway point, uh, because I, I remember I, I, watched, um, uh, I was watching a video around uh, key, key mistakes of writers or things to avoid, and one of them was the, the halfway hump. Um, And it was saying about how the most common mistake that a lot of writers make is you start off a story and you've got all of this energy because you're like, oh, I've got this story to tell. It's really exciting. And then you've got an end bit, which is really exciting that you want to tell. But then you've got a middle bit to get to. And they were saying what seems to happen is you start off really excited and you just do that and then you get up to there. So they said the way to get around that is to make the middle really exciting. So I went ahead and made the middle really exciting um, <laughs> because I wanted to make sure I was engaged through it. So um, I didn't suffer with writer's block. I actually managed to write the story itself um, in six months uh, it took me to write. Um, uh, so I had six months to write it and then six months of revisions, which included uh, me reviewing it personally for three months, and then I had six uh, test, re- test readers uh, review it Grammarly reviews naturally um, then it was sent over to a professional editor to get uh, the, to do proofs on it as well and then it had another final read from another two proof readers before it even went out into the wide world because uh, I wanted to make sure it was as, as close to perfect as possible before before I let it fly the nest Hmm. Back to the child thing, right? Yeah. Well, how do you feel?
2: How do you feel? Do you feel, do you feel confident now? Like when you go to, go to do this next book and you're putting together everything now, but when you go to actually write it and put it out, um, do you feel like you've stepped up? Do you feel like um, confident in what you're doing?
1: Oh, I feel like it's, it, it's a wonderful process to go on uh, writing the book because when I first started, obviously I had no idea what I was doing. And by the end, when I was going back and I was doing, like, my 10th read-through, I'm looking at things and I'm learning all of the time. And I'm like, that was silly. We need to change that. Like, and I'm, I'm talking to myself in a third person. And I'm like, why have you done this? Drawing? Come on, let's, 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 let's keep this going. Um, and I found that as I went through, my technique that I was using was improving all of the time. So going into this next book, I suppose I, I am more confident from the point of view of I know I can do it. Uh, I know I can write something to it in, in its entirety. And I've learned a lot along the way. Um, but equally, I know there is still a hell of a lot that I have to learn um, moving forwards. I know that my books will get better uh, as I go along. Um, but I take a lot of pride in knowing that my book at the moment has started off at a very, you know, my first book has come in at a very good place. Um, you know, I, I take a lot of heart in that. It's a, good, it's a good starting mark to go from, and I think it is a wonderful story. And when, for me, I take most heart from when I get my feedback from readers. You know, when I have readers that are getting in touch with me and saying, Jerome, when's the next book out? Come on, I need to read it. Or um, I had someone get in touch and say, um, they said this is the first book since I read Harry Potter where I could really visualise everything that was um, that you were describing um, which was wonderful. You know, that, that's lovely. The editor um, who read it uh, described John Sparks as being in fantastic company with Harry Potter and uh, Lyra from uh, uh, from from dust. And, you know, uh, and, and that those kind of things when when you get to the end and your editor goes, Do you know what, you really have something there um and she's like the worst part of my job is when i have to turn around to someone and go you don't have a story and when she turned around to me and said Do you know what? you've really got something there it's it's good it's really good um it does give you more confidence for sure um but at the same time not complacency at all because i want the next book to be better i don't want it to be worse because i get complacent and think oh i can write a book now it's easy it's not it's hard it's very hard
2: (laughs) wow that's um quite the story quite the book um the book we're talking about is the founder seeds awakening and we've been talking with its author jerome macklin page thank you for being here
1: that is an absolute pleasure alan thank you for having me on thank you so much
0: And 365 day returns you've been listening to the house of mystery radio show to find out more about our guests hosts or shows go to www.houseofmystery.com show is over for now was it as good for you as it was for me well yeah. good night